Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR. How often do you unlock your phone? open the internet and search for something. Maybe you've been in a conversation with a friend, something came up and you said, let me look it up. Or maybe you said, let me Google it. It's hard to deny Google's power when it comes to the internet. In the Merriam-Webster dictionary, Google is even a verb. Well, the U.S. Department of Justice wants to do something about that power. It's taking on Google in the biggest tech monopoly trial in 25 years. The DOJ alleges the company is abusing its power to become the dominant search engine. We asked you what you thought about Google, and your answers varied widely. I do believe Google is a basically a bully and an oversized monopoly. One time my Samsung phone updated and my DuckDuckGo icon got kicked out and Google replaced it. And I do agree that they're too big. I think when you do something better than anybody else, you win. You win the internet. You win the phone search. You're just better than everybody else. Thanks for those messages. After the break, we meet our panel who will guide us through the trial and what antitrust law is. We discuss how the U.S. is regulating tech and what implications this case has for tech business around the world. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill, FX is Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. Let's bring in our panel to walk us through the trial and what antitrust law is. Leah Nyland is an antitrust reporter at Bloomberg. She's been at the Washington, D.C. courthouse following the trial since it started last week, and she joins us from there now. Leah, thanks for sneaking away to update us. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Bill Kovacic, an antitrust scholar at George Washington University and director of the Competition Law Center. He was chair of the Federal Trade Commission between 2008 and 2009. Bill, welcome to the program. Delighted to be here. Thank you. And also with us is Catherine Van Dyke. She's part of the Senior Counsel at the American Economic Liberties Project. That's an anti-monopoly policy and advocacy group. Katie, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Leah, let's just start from the beginning. What charges is Google on trial for? Yeah, so the Justice Department alleges that Google has entered into a series of contracts with rivals, uh, browser makers, and smartphone manufacturers. And these um, agreements set Google as the pre-selected option, or also known as a default, on a browser, sort of wherever you access the internet, so on a desktop or a phone. Um, And uh, in exchange for being set as the default, Google gave these companies um, a portion of the advertising revenue that they uh, gain from every time you make a search. Um, And so these, you know, contracts varied, but um, we know that they were giving uh, billions of dollars away each year for this privilege. 
Now, there are also charges the DOJ initially filed that didn't make it to the trial. What are those? Yeah, so this uh, has to do with some of the other companies that um, they call them vertical search providers, but they're essentially websites that have a lot of in-depth information on one topic. So, for example, a company like Yelp that has a lot of, you know, reviews about um, restaurants or salons, a company like TripAdvisor that has a lot of details on vacation places and hotels. The um, case initially alleged that Google had deliberately downgraded the results of those type of rivals um, in favor of its own products, um, you know, the, the map and the sort of Google shopping listings that you see at the top of a screen. Um, but the judge eventually decided that the charges related to that specifically uh, are not going to be heard at trial. Now, Google didn't make anyone available to us for the live program, but they did direct us to a statement on their website saying, quote, as we've said from the beginning, this lawsuit is deeply flawed and we're pleased that the court has significantly narrowed it, dismissing claims regarding the design of Google's search, unquote. Leah, what else have we heard from Google's lawyers so far? Yeah, Google maintains that um, people use its uh, website because they like it. Um, You know, they uh, say that it's very easy if you wanted to use a different search engine to just go there. You know, you can go up to the top of a browser bar and type in DuckDuckGo or Bing. Those are the two biggest other rivals to Google. Or um, you can download an app on your phone to do a search from there. So they have a catchphrase they like to use. Competition is just one click away. Bill, the last big tech company to be subject of a monopoly trial was Microsoft in 1998. What kind of parallels are there between this case with Google and that 1998 Microsoft case? The 1998 case set out a theory of harm that the government is, in many respects, using again in this case. And the core theory of harm is that if you're a dominant enterprise, There are limits to the extent that uh, you can go to deny your rivals access to something that they need to compete. That can be a distribution channel. It can be an upstream input that assists you in doing business. But the Microsoft case established uh, the principle that uh, the demand for exclusivity for access to these kinds of assets, in this case, as Leah was saying, uh, uh, the access to to the default setting on devices. Demands for exclusivity can be illegal if they don't provide supporting benefits to the users. Uh, So in many respects, this case is an important variant of a principle that the government achieved through litigation in the Microsoft case 25 years ago. Technology has accelerated in the last 25 years. In what cases, uh, in what ways does this case differ from the Microsoft case, especially when we look at the, the technology piece of it? I would say in some respects, the, uh, the dynamism in the sector is greater. Uh, the uh, force of dynamism uh, makes it somewhat more difficult to make confident predictions about how durable uh, individual positions of, 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 of market power will be over time. So in, in some respects, the uh, uh, prediction about uh, the durability of market power is a bit, diff- bit, bit more difficult here. But on that point, uh, the government has started out very strongly uh, introducing evidence that indicates that uh, Google's position is, uh, is, is likely to be durable unless adjustments are made. Katie, do a bit of a legal 101 for us. What is antitrust law supposed to do? So antitrust law, the antitrust laws we're talking about were passed because Congress recognized that monopolies like the monopoly Google 
pretty much indisputably has are destructive to our society. That a monopolist can charge consumers whatever price they want. They can pay their workers whatever wage they want. They don't have incentive to create better products and improve that can improve our society. And the flip side of that is that competition is a cornerstone of our democratic society. That when we have the economic freedom to choose how we spend our money, where we want to work, what products we want to buy, when we have the when people have the freedom, when our listeners out there have the freedom to say, I have a great business idea, I want to go out there and make my own product or start my own company, that they can do that, that that we that our society is improved. So Leah, what argument is the DOJ making about why this is a trial about monopoly? Yeah, um like Katie was saying, they argue that um, some of the things Google has done allowed it to sort of rest on its laurels and not improve its product. Kenneth Dinser, the main lawyer for the Justice Department, said during his opening statement that Google has been able to walk when competition would have made it run. Um, they have suggested that, you know, we're seeing all of these really interesting advances in artificial intelligence and chats, you know, with like ChatGPT, where you can ask it a question and then it will provide lots of answers. They say that maybe if Google wasn't the dominant company here, we would have seen innovations like that years ago um, because Google would have had the incentive to keep improving its product over time. We're heading to a quick break here, but when we return, we take a look at other companies caught up in the Google antitrust case. Stay with us. We've got a lot more still ahead. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard, wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. NPR Plus is a new way to support public media and get more from your favorite NPR podcasts like Fresh Air. Sometimes I'll actually preface the question with, if it makes you too uncomfortable to talk about, if it's too personal, just tell me. Here's the question. For behind-the-scenes content, bonus episodes, and more, sign up at plus.npr.org. Let's get back to our conversation about antitrust law and what the most recent trial against Google could mean for tech. Leah, who is the DOJ bringing to the witness stand to make their case? Um, so far, they've brought a number of Google employees, um, including Google's top economist um, and various people who helped negotiate these contracts between Google and some of the other companies. Um, they also brought a behavioral economist to uh, the stand last week. He was one of the most compelling witnesses of week one, uh, Dr. Antonio Rangel, who is a professor of behavioral economics at California Tech uh, University. Um, and what he did was he essentially explained a little bit about why defaults are so powerful. Essentially, sometimes people don't even realize that they're using defaults. And there's sort of an embedded assumption when you do that the person who selected it for you selected it because it's the best choice. So a lot of people just keep using it because it's what they know and what they think the company wants them to use. 
And who is Google expected to put on the stand? Yeah, Google is planning to call, again, a number of its own witnesses, um, people within the company who have helped develop the strategy. Um, One of the ones people are most looking forward to is Sundar Pichai, uh, the company's CEO. He was also, for a long stretch of time, the uh, vice president for Android and Chrome. So he was very involved in helping develop the strategy that is sort of at issue in this trial. What other majors, major players are involved in this case? Because there are some other big companies involved, right? Yeah. So the biggest one is Apple. Um, Google has had a contract with Apple to be the default on the Safari search engine, um, which is the default on Mac computers, iPhones, and iPads. And that contract has existed as far back as 2003. Um, At the time when they first created it, you know, Safari was really small. Not a lot of people used Mac computers. It only accounted for something like 1% of internet traffic. But as more and more people have started to use iPhones, um, the Safari contract has become a lot more important. No one knows exactly how much it's worth, but the Justice Department said during opening statements they estimated it's worth between 4 and $7 billion a year. Well, speaking of other players, several state attorneys general have joined the DOJ in their lawsuit ahead of the trial. Bill, why is that significant? It helps provide uh, resources to overcome the asymmetry that Katie was referring to before. That is uh, a number of state Uh, attorneys general's offices have very capable antitrust attorneys, so they can help carry some of the burden that otherwise would fall entirely on the shoulders of the Department of Justice. They also came at the case with uh, a different set of eyes, looking at other theories that might be applied. Uh, To their disappointment, uh, Judge Maida did cast aside uh, a good number of the arguments that they were hoping to bring forward. Those are the arguments that Leah was describing before. But I'd say the other thing that having uh, a broad collection of attorneys general with political diversification is that it operates as a signal in a very rough way that the case enjoys bipartisan support and is not simply the product of a, a single philosophy or a single orientation. You mentioned the judge presiding over the case. That's Judge Ahmed Mehta. Uh, Leah, what is his history as a judge like? What do we know about him? So he is a uh, appointee who's been on the bench. Uh, he was appointed by uh, President Barack Obama. Um, he is a, a very soft-spoken, nice man. Uh, lately, he's been doing a lot of the January 6th trials. He did one uh, involving some of the Oath Keepers and, again, Peter Navarro's contempt of Congress. Um, he has done one antitrust case before. It was uh, during the Obama administration when Cisco and U.S. Foods Those are the two largest food distributors. They tried to merge, and he ruled against that merger and for the government, finding that the merger was illegal, and then it was called off. Katie, help us understand why Google wields so much power. So what Google has has done here is by paying to be the default, they have secured a position over search, which basically guarantees that every time you or I open our phone and conduct a search, it is most likely going to be on Google. They control, I've seen estimates of up to 90% of the internet search that's out there in the United States. And that sort of works, that creates the snowball effect where the more that we use Google, the more data Google gets, the more money they can charge advertisers, which is about $230 billion a year. 
And they keep getting that data and they and it just becomes a circular process. And the result is that because they are the default, consumers don't really even know that there are other options. And then when some when a competitor or a rival comes in, like DuckDuckGo or um, Neva, which Nivea, I think it's called, was another search engine that tried to get a foothold. It was created by a former Google senior executive. They can't overcome those hurdles and get a toehold on the market. And then, as our user point, as that listener just pointed out, they've become so big now that the other competitors can't catch up in terms of the amount of data they have. Now, Google has this search index that is billions of gigabytes large, and no company should own that large amount of data. It should have this essential surveillance state over the entire country. Well, Bill, as we heard there from Katie, Google is paying other companies to be the default search engine. So how do those other companies fit into this? The DOJ is going to trial against Google. Well, a fascinating part of the proceedings will be the appearance of witnesses from Verizon, Apple, to explain how the placement of the default rights took place. What kind of auction did they conduct uh, to place firms in that position? What alternatives were they considering? Uh, What else might they have done other than basically giving Google uh, a preeminent and, and unassailable position here? And, and to hear from them, uh, as well as from Google's other witnesses, exactly what benefits for users come from establishing this uh, set of relationships. So uh, a vital element of the case going ahead is going to explore with these firms why they did what they did. So will any of the accountability end up landing with those firms, or is it solely on Google? Uh, it'll come with both. Uh, that is, uh, I think we're aware that Apple is not a mom and pop store. Uh, it's a fairly formidable enterprise uh, with a, a product that, uh, as, as, as our colleagues have been saying, has, uh, has tremendous significance. So uh, a, a, a crucial additional player in this drama uh, certainly is Apple. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to hear what their executives and their internal records say about the logic of giving Google the position that they held on the on the device. I mean, big picture, Bill, what questions will this raise, or at least the outcome of this case, will it raise for, for the tech industry more broadly? This case by itself is going to set uh, boundaries, uh, has the potential to set boundaries on what uh, dominant enterprises can do. And uh, as, as I think uh, our... our uh, uh, Leah was laying out and in, in presenting the mosaic of other cases. There are a host of other cases in parallel that are going to identify what firms can do by way of buying their rivals. Uh, that's the point of a Federal Trade Commission monopolization case now proceeding against Meta that essentially challenges the acquisition by Facebook of both uh, Instagram and WhatsApp. Uh, there is likely to be an FTC case against Amazon coming uh coming through the pipeline uh, later this month. So, so across the whole range of enterprises, with the, with the cascade of cases that Leah was referring to before, we're going to have a collection of courts uh, individually making judgments that set, I think, new boundaries for what large firms can do with respect to acquisitions, with respect to 
restrict contractual restrictions of the case of the kind most immediately involved in the Google case. So, so if you look at the entire constellation of activity, uh, out of it is likely to come uh, a new and more demanding set of conditions uh, for, for large enterprises. We're discussing the Google antitrust trial, and we'll be back with more after this short break. Stay with us. On this week's episode of Wildcard, comedian Bowen Yang says you don't have to feel bad for falling short on mindfulness. I get in my own way by, like, over-privileging the present. That's so interesting because everyone wants to be in the present. I feel like being present is overrated. I'm Rachel Martin. Join us for NPR's Wildcard podcast, the game where cards control the conversation. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me isn't just jokes about the week's news. It's also life hacks. For example, here's actor Karen Allen revealing how she got her starring role in Raiders of the Lost Ark. They said, how well can you spit? And I just found it coming out of my mouth. I said, oh, I can hawk them with the best. (laughs) I'm Peter Sagal. If you want to increase your self-confidence, then listen to the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me podcast from NPR. This message comes from Tinkercast. For curious kids and grown-ups, Wow in the World is an adventure-filled cartoon-for-the-ear podcast all about amazing innovations in science and technology. Listen to Wow in the World wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to our conversation about antitrust law and what the most recent trial against Google could mean for tech. Leah, this case still has 10 more weeks on trial. If Judge Meta decides Google is acting illegally, what happens next? So this part of the trial is only focused on liability, i.e., did Google violate the law with these contracts? If the judge decides that they did, then this case moves into a second phase, which focuses on the remedy, how to fix uh, the harm caused by Google's conduct. That probably won't happen until next year. And there's a couple possibilities of what could happen. The Justice Department hasn't said yet exactly what it will seek. But one possibility is um, that they would seek to break up Google. They could ask that Judge Meta order the company to sell off other parts of its business, for example, the Chrome browser or maybe the Android operating system. Or there is one other possibility that has come up. It's more of a behavioral remedy. Um, And they could require that Google make access some of the uh, data that it has collected um, on search to other companies, the the smaller rivals like Bing and DuckDuckGo, so that they could sort of improve their search results. They've said so far that Google gets 16 times the amount of data each day that Bing gets, which is the next largest thing. So the idea is if these other companies were able to get the same amount of data that Google has, they could improve their results and other people would want to use them more. Well, Katie, this trial is an opportunity for the public to learn quite a bit about how Google operates and to get a a bit of understanding about antitrust law. But how accessible is the information that's being used as evidence in the case to the public? So we so unfortunately, this is not a fully open trial. Google is doing everything it can to keep as much to keep parts of the record sealed that it does not want the public to see. My organization, Economic Liberties, filed a motion with the court a few weeks ago asking for an audio feed to make it more accessible because this is a case in Washington, D.C. It's not a big courtroom. You ha- it not This case impacts the entire country, and we believe the entire country should be able to access an audio, at at minimum, an audio feed and be able to hear what's going on. But the court ruled that there are 
certain restrictions from the federal by the federal judiciary. That's the administrative body of the of federal courts in the United States that prevent it from doing that. And so, unfortunately, the only way to really know what's going on into trial is to actually physically go to the courtroom or um, follow reporting by people like Leah who are really shining a light on what's happening. Well, Leah, if some of the evidence is is sealed, what does that mean for your reporting? (laughs) It means it's a little bit harder to cover this than it would be a normal trial. So whenever there is a witness, they do part of their testimony in open court, meaning, you know, I can listen and anybody else who is there can. But then they have to do a sealed portion. So then they seal the courtroom and then the witness gives some evidence just to the judge with the lawyers present. It makes it a little bit frustrating because we never know like how much of a a particular witness is going to be public versus sealed. So uh, on Friday, for example, they did a lot of sealed testimony and we just hung out in the hallway quite a bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want to focus in for just a moment on the role of the FTC. Um, Bill, you were the chair of the Federal Trade Commission between 2008 and 2009. And we see this evolution of tech happening so quickly. The FTC is supposed to enforce antitrust and consumer protection law. So as these tech companies grow and evolve, how do you think the role of the FTC needs to grow and evolve as well? It has to grow in a couple of ways. One is that there there's an ongoing effort to provide more resources. But I think to start, the uh, the FTC needs a considerable boost in the, in the, in the resources that it has, both the aggregate number of individuals and the ability to pay more in order to keep some of the very best people. Uh, I I think it could easily justify a doubling of the agency's existing budget or not, if not more. So a starting point is if you're going to meet the challenges uh, that the agency has under its very broad jurisdiction, it's got to have the means to do it effectively. The second is I think there has to be a genuine integration of the capabilities you were just referring to, Jen. The FTC is not only a competition agency, it's a consumer protection agency. It is the principal privacy data protection agency in the United States. Addressing the kinds of issues that we're seeing in these cases increasingly will involve integrating all three capabilities into a broader problem-solving approach. Um, The agency has the capacity to do that. Uh, I think that has to be an important part of its agenda along with a deeper effort to plan with the Department of Justice how they will use their complementary capabilities. Uh, A last item is that the FTC has to continue, as it has been, to build up, along with the Department of Justice, a greater technical capability. Um, It's striking to look, for example, in the United Kingdom at what the Competition and Markets Authority has done by way of building a team of 50 people, which includes computer scientists, engineers, specialists in analytics, They built this team with the understanding that you can't do really first-rate work in this area unless you know in a sophisticated way how the technology works and where it's going. So there are a number of things that the FTC can do on its own by integrating its capacity. It absolutely needs the effort of Congress to provide the resources and in some ways augmented authority to do this job well. 
We have to acknowledge that tech is incredibly immersed in our day-to-day lives. Amazon has grown to be more than a shopping and delivery service. It has grocery stores and streaming services and partnerships with Whole Foods. Facebook acquired Instagram in 2012 and WhatsApp in 2014 and became Meta last year. I mean, Katie, when we look at the way tech is, is developing, what is the argument for limiting the reach of these companies? So I think... The question is, what kind of economy do we want to live in? Do we want an economy that only works for these big businesses who amass more and more data and power and control over our lives? Or do we want to live in a world where the economy works for all of us? I think what we're seeing happen in the United States today indicates that people want an an economy that's fair and that this kind of corporate power is not working for everyone out there. It's working for just a few people. Um, So this case is going to answer those questions. What will corporations be allowed to do? And what will society tolerate? We see, you know, um, historic strikes in Hollywood, the one that just started on Friday with the United Auto Workers. College athletes are starting, are seeking to organize. Unions are cropping up all over the country. And That's exactly what these antitrust laws are designed to boost and support. Bill, it's been a long time since telecommunications was the frontier of technology. Just last week, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg were in D.C. to discuss AI. When you look at what's been done to regulate tech on a legislative level, why do you think that legislation has moved so much more slowly than the technology itself? Uh, I think there's uh, I think what we saw between 2020 and 2022 uh, is is a a coalition that favors some form of intervention. Uh, A a broad coalition of left and right said that we should do something when it came time to write down on a page what the something was that would appeal to the two groups and mobilize a majority to adopt legislation. uh, That proved to be a step too far. Uh, so uh, it, it, it appears as though, you know, absent some remarkable shock that will galvanize Congress to act, we're not going to see action uh, in, in 2023, 2024. It'll spill over into the next Congress. Uh, and and I, I, th- I think the one element that does seem to have caught their attention is the one you mentioned, Jen, and that's, uh, that's AI. Uh, AI seems to unsettle a large number of public officials Partly uh, in the sense that it's a system that appears to be almost out of control, that uh, there's the rapid deployment of new capabilities uh, without uh, a deliberate effort to consider possible side effects that come with deployment. Um, Perhaps that will be the focal point for legislation before other measures uh, that would have directly involved a wide range of tech firms might have been put in place. AI may be where we begin. Katie, how do you think regulating companies like Google through litigation affects them differently than doing things through legislation? That's a great question. Um, so, litigate with litigation, you have a lot. You obviously have a lot more risk, right? We don't know how Judge Meta is going to rule, and maybe even Judge Meta doesn't know how he's going to rule at this point. Only a week into trial, um, of course, with litig. Uh, 
the flip side of that is with legislation, it leads to more litigation. And we have a Supreme Court that is much more willing to overturn laws. And so you have that risk as well. And you have the difficulty, as Bill just pointed out, of actually getting laws all the way through Congress and into our code books. Well, Leah, as you continue to cover this case, what are you watching for? Yeah, I think, you know, the Apple executives will be um, a very interesting uh, testimony. We're going to probably hear from them uh, next week on why they decided to choose Google for the search engine for Safari. And I think everyone's also really looking forward to the testimony from Google CEO Sundar Pichai, not just because he's the CEO, but because he really was an important architect of this strategy that Google created. Well, we'd love to check in with you as the case continues. That's Leah Nyland. She's an antitrust reporter at Bloomberg. Also with us today, Bill Kovacic. He's an antitrust scholar at George Washington University. And Catherine Van Dyke. She's senior counsel at the American Economic Liberties Project. Catherine, Bill, Leah, thanks for speaking with us. Today's producer was Jorhelina Mana Rea. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Let's talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com NPR and use code NPR.